Welcome to The Jolt. It's Friday the 19th of January. I'm Sam Morgan, your host. Coming up later in the episode, Kira will be joining me for a new segment of the show. We'll be looking ahead at what 2024 has in store, revealing the big stories we'll be keeping an eye on, and bringing you some highlights from our coverage over the past week. First though, let's run through some of the big climate and energy stories, making waves around the world. The European Union should aim to cut its emissions by 90% by 2040. That's according to a plan currently in the works at the EU's executive branch, the Commission. Several media have reported on a leaked version of the communication, that's Brussels jargon for a non-binding plan, which is due to be published on the 6th of February. According to a couple of EU officials that I spoke to on the sly, the plan is indeed to champion the 90% cut and to pave the way for a full-blown proposal with all the detailed sector-by-sector bells and whistles in the second half of the year. There's a big debate brewing here. Will national governments be able to approve it through majority voting, or will it have to be unanimous? Climate matters technically don't need all 27 countries to give the thumbs up, but given the importance of the update, unanimity might come into play. That's where things will get really interesting. Check out Kira's episodes from this week, which dive a bit more into what the EU is doing on its big headline targets. Sticking with the EU, and the biggest political party, the European People's Party, has outlined its manifesto for June's block-wide elections. According to a sneak peek seen by Politico Europe, the headline issue on climate is that the EPP wants to overturn recently agreed engine standards which will mean an end to new petrol and diesel-powered cars by 2035. The EPP has raged against this measure for quite some time. Whether it will indeed become policy after the elections is, though, very doubtful. The legislation was approved by the Parliament and the Council, and, more importantly, the car industry is very much on board with it, apart from a few noisy outliers. A reversal now would only be disruptive, is the general consensus. On the same theme, EU negotiators agreed on new CO2 rules for heavy trucks and buses. Emission reductions of 40, 65 and 90 percent will be needed in 2030, 2035 and 2040 respectively. Urban buses should be emission-free by 2035 and there are exemptions for the military and for emergency services. A review in 2027 We'll check on progress towards these new targets. 2023 was a banner year for offshore wind power, according to freshly crunched numbers. Trade body WinEurope revealed that a record 4.2 gigawatts of offshore power came online in Europe, a 40% increase on 2022's benchmark. 30 billion euros of new investments were pledged that will build 9 gigawatts of new capacity. Global uncertainty with supply chains and other geopolitical factors triggered first by the COVID-19 pandemic and then Russia's invasion of Ukraine meant that less than half a billion euros were pledged in 2022. That illustrates quite markedly how the sector's fortunes have turned around. When Europe adds that if all goes to plan, European countries will auction off 40 gigawatts of capacity 
in 2024. Airbus has made a big step towards zero-emission flight. The plane-making powerhouse revealed that late last year its engineers successfully fired up the hydrogen-burning engine system that should form the basis for its next generation of aircraft. The so-called iron pod fuel cell was for the first time integrated with the electric motors that should hopefully power its propellers. The system ran at 1.2 megawatts, which is the power level Airbus wants to use when it tests the system on an existing plane penciled in for 2026. Extensive tests will continue this year and next. Sticking with hydrogen and transport, an Italian regional train operator has placed an order for hydrogen-powered trains. Ferrovie della Calabria, which operates in the toe of Italy, has ordered six train sets from Swiss manufacturer Stadler. The deal includes infrastructure upgrades and the construction of a hydrogen production plant. Calabria's territory is notoriously rugged and mountainous, which makes overhead electricity lines a sometimes complex option for railways. Whether the hydrogen bet pays off is still an open question. And Italy's government has taken the first steps towards bringing the country's biggest steelworks back under special administration. It's been an unfortunate fall from grace for the Taranto plant, which is operating way below its output capacity. It's been dogged by environmental problems, and it's also been embroiled in an unpaid bills case with its gas provider. 10,000 people work at the plant, so the government will have to tread carefully as it potentially seeks a new buyer. It's actually a similar story in Wales, where this week it was revealed that Tata Steel is set to close the Port Talbot plant, potentially cutting 3,000 jobs. The Indian firm rejected a union deal, as it claims it cannot afford to run the plant anymore while investments are made in switching its global production to electric arc furnaces. If completed, the shutdown would make the UK the only G20 country unable to produce steel from raw materials, as all of the existing furnaces and the planned sites will only run on scrap metal. That's it for your news updates. More next week. Now it's time to try something a little different on the Jolt, as today Kira Taylor, my fellow Jolt host, is joining me to talk about some burning climate and energy issues, as well as to look back at the past week of Jolts. Enjoy the discussion. Hey, Kira. Welcome to the show. Well, welcome back. It's weird welcoming uh, the, the co-host to the, her own show, but uh, here we are on a Friday together. First week back. How's it been for you? It's been interesting. I think having come from somewhere where I'm constantly reporting on Europe, it's really fascinating to suddenly remember that there's a world out there yes. and suddenly go around and be like, oh, this type of stuff is happening all around the world. And I remember when I joined, we had a chat and I was saying I'm looking forward to it. And there's still a lot I need to learn. I often have to have Google Maps up to mm -hmm. kind of work out exactly where a country is. But yeah. it's really interesting. No, it makes me think of, uh, was it the UK immigration minister uh, thinking that, uh, you know, Kigali was a separate country to Rwanda when it was just the capital city of it. But uh, yeah, no, you're right. It is nice to um, just learn about new places as well. And it's nice, yeah. you know, when journalists admit that they want to learn something as well. You know, I think you know, both of us want to improve our knowledge and have our listeners and readers help us do that as well. So that's really nice. I mean, um, big year ahead as well. A lot of global stuff. 
are there any like main themes or events or developments that you're really interested in keeping an eye on or you know feel obligated to follow at least i think the massive elections this year is something which we will not be able to escape because whenever you have elections you suddenly have policymakers and politicians who want to be re-elected having to explain these types of very complex climate and energy laws to the people who maybe haven't thought about them since the last election or have a very different relationship with them to like you and I who, who see them every single day. And I think particularly looking at the US having elections, the EU, potentially the UK as well, those are kind of the ones where it would be interesting to see the narrative around climate and energy you know is it going to be yay we need to do so much for the climate we have so much to do this is what we're planning or is it going to be yeah we're spending so much money on this we're stealing your freedoms and all of this because we've seen both of those approaches um and I think it's going to be really fascinating to see how that develops and also what people listen to Mm -hmm. like are people going to be out on the streets saying we need more action on climate or are they going to be saying, you know, this is beginning to hit me. I don't particularly want to be involved in this. Yeah. I mean, we got a taste of that yesterday, right, with the um, European People's Party's manifesto and, you know, making uh, lots of noise about overturning car engine bans, you know, which isn't a ban, of course, but that's what they call it. Um, you know, we know that that probably won't go anywhere, but it's it's something that people like to tweet about and, you know, make a culture war of and, like you say, will there be loads of this kind of thing, not just in the European elections, but in the US, you can probably guarantee as well that, you know, wind film, wind, wind farms cause cancer and kill birds. I'm sure that will be bandied around again, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, there'll be a lot to dread, but also look forward to, I'm sure. And anything else, any, any big themes that uh, you think are going to be uh, worth watching? I think, and this sort of links into that because it comes into kind of the security of investments because you know if you are watching an election and everyone's suddenly like oh should we be doing this you're probably not going to be very confident on your investments but then the other thing is really this clean tech race uh, and and who really gets ahead in it and whether you push forwards in cooperation and really knowledge sharing or whether you continue to see this sort of very inward looking this is what we're doing to protect our industry which you've seen with the inflation reduction act in the us and then with the eu now kind of i won't say copy and pasting because i think that that's not really what the net zero industry act is but kind of replying to that and then as well kind of looking at china and the eu now potentially investigating electric vehicles that's already going ahead whether they investigate the wind sector as well mm-hmm. so how all of these work together and then whether we just continue to see this complete forgetting of the global south in that conversation because the more inward looking the global north is the less we're going to see this stuff in the global south yeah, i mean it's already happening in europe right right you see the the north of europe being able to throw around billions of euros in state aid and subsidies to battery makers, electric car makers, wind farms, whatever. And many of the 27 EU countries 
can't do that. They just don't have the firepower to do that. And then you can transpose that dynamic quite easily onto the rest of the world where Africa's industries are expected to go green already, even though they're at this nascent point in many places. And I mean, we saw stuff at COP where maybe that will change a little bit with like loss and damage and, and things, but it's more, it's still this kind of patrimonial system rather than a we're all in this together what can we do together yeah whether that dynamic changes this year don't want to be pessimistic or doom monger or anything but the business we're in yeah i think it's it's difficult to see it changing without a significant push because the status quo will always just keep existing in this world um, without people really saying we need to change this you are i mean we were beginning to hear things about the fossil industry should be investing in these types of things. But then I also spoke to people who were like, we don't really want the fossil industry involved because we're, we're scared about what they might actually do. So even with that, you know, there, there's a hesitancy there. Yeah, it's that's going to be quite interesting as well. I think where you've got these multi-billion dollar companies, Chevron, Exxon, whoever you want to call them, all at various sort of stages of the big evil company dynamic but they've got decades of experience doing many of the things that we're going to have to do a lot more of as well so just from like a technical point of view being able to dig miles underground in order to like get geothermal is something that they will be able to help with or just you know transitioning oil riggers to working on wind farms i've seen in the past you know you have a lot of green ngos especially who are very quick to say when you know these companies should just be shut down and wiped off the face of the planet when yeah a that's not going to happen and b it shouldn't happen and whether or not this year you get more companies taking like the you know the orsted route or the equinor route where they they do transition a bit more towards doing the kind of energy that is the objective of, of decarbonization and everything but um you know, I mean, maybe like geopolitics will take care of that as well. If if we suddenly can't get any tankers going through the Red Sea for the foreseeable future rather than a couple of days, you know, Chevron's boss said um, yesterday or the day before, this is a real problem. This is a real risk. And I guess if you have this perma crisis of not being able to get these products to where they need to go, the business case is made for you. I think we saw that in, in the EU when it came to the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the sudden drop in the gas blowing from Russia, you suddenly had this focus on renewables and kind of energy efficiency, not so much energy efficiency. That has become a bit more quiet. I'd say in 2022, it was a real thing. In 2023, it began to die out. But I remember when that morning that you kind of woke up and you knew that Russia had invaded Ukraine, we had this big meeting and it was like, right, what does this mean for energy policy? And that kind of felt like the end of the world in terms of the the stability of energy policy up till then. And if you look at the developments that are happening now, it's like that was just a drop in the ocean compared to all of these other things which are kind of going on around the world now. If you look at, you know, Israel Hamas and how that might affect gas, like you say, with the Red Sea and the impact on shipping. Uh, I know you've been following Venezuela as well and, and Maybe that's not so much a damage, but it's definitely, you know, tension coming from energy supply. I think we're really beginning to see that stable energy policy, energy supply being put into question now. Definitely. I mean, you know, this year there are going to have to be a load of infrastructure investment decisions for things like interconnectors, mostly cables, but pipelines as well. 
and when you you know if you if you're in charge of billions of euros of investment and in the back of your mind you have Nord Stream being blown up the Baltic pipe being damaged um, Germany's LNG platform having potential leaks caused by an external party they're still investigating that this obviously plays on your mind because there's a lot of money at stake and i mean there's an episode of the jolt coming out next week that'll be about interconnectors and you know about this new electricity interconnector between the uk and and denmark Uh, and the people i spoke to said look it took a lot of bravery to get this thing on the books a couple of years ago you factor in now the fact that all of these geopolitical factors are at play and much more pronounced than they used to be and it makes you wonder whether or not would that cable have been built now Will more of them be built? You know, they need to be updated as well to be hybrid. So they run past wind farms and solar power plants and things. So that feels like it's going to be a real challenge as well, where the money's there, but also you just keep throwing these crises on top of the the pile constantly. And, you know, it it just gives you headaches, I'm sure. And when we're just talking about it, we don't have to make these decisions. So whether or not these companies take the leap this year and next, let's see. And then that's really challenging for countries like Ireland, where they don't really have a choice as to whether they build this infrastructure because they need to be connected. I mean, not just you know energy cables, but also internet cables. And you know, how do you guarantee that that's secure? And I think that's really a question that that the world is looking at, but particularly mm-hmm. those kind of more remote countries. Mm-hmm. I think when I'm looking forward to this year as well on the kind of you know positive side is is energy developments just from like the technical point of view whether or not it's you know the biggest turbine yet or airbus finally making good on hydrogen or fusion technology maybe taking a leap forward the kind of stuff that it's, e- it's easy to write a headline about and it's it gives you a bit of pessimism uh, optimism rather than pessimism about whether or not the energy transition is going to happen not at all but in time because i think we're at that point now where this is all going to happen but whether or not we'll be sat here in 20 years time looking back at what it should have happened 10 years earlier you know it's going to be interesting i think to see 20 gigawatt or 20 megawatt turbines and you know these massive massive infrastructure things and think yeah we still build stuff you know all of these sort of twitter accounts you see moaning about how civilization has declined and we don't really build anything interesting anymore you see these offshore wind turbines and they're incredible and i just hope for more of that basically I mean, I've toured some factories and they'll be like, oh, yeah, this is what we're doing. And it's like, wow, how, who even thought of that? I mean, if you look at just the science behind fusion, it's just all of these factors coming together to make it happen. And I was listening to the the What Matters episode that you did, uh, came out this week. And uh, I remember you mentioned the fusion and I just remembered sitting in class when I was like 15 years old and someone's talking about fusion. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. And I was probably the only person in the classroom who, <laughs> who found that interesting. Um, but yeah, and so ever since I've had a bit of a soft spot for fusion. And I mean, it, there's a lot of developments needed for it, but it, I find it fascinating kind of the big leaps that we're seeing and all of these things. Yeah, just the kind of idea of countries coming together and, and making that sort of next big leap forward in something that affects all of us. You know, I think it's you'd have to be a real you know sourpuss to really not get at least hopeful about something like that. Um, I mean, for the listeners, the, the point of this kind of episode is also to maybe do a little look back at the week as well, because we put these episodes out every day. Um, were there any highlights that you'd like to sort of share from from the week's episodes that uh, have been published already? 
Well, I would love to say that I aligned the two that I did really, really well. It actually happened to be a coincidence. But on Tuesday, I got to speak to uh, Linda Kaika from Strategic Perspectives about the 2040 target. And it was really interesting listening to her modeling of the target and how the EU gets there. And then on Thursday, the European Scientific Advisory Board on Climate Change came out with a report basically saying, eh, we're not sure we're going to get there. Mm -hmm. So it was interesting having those side by side and seeing what strategic perspectives thinks needs to happen in order to get to the 2040 90% reduction in, in greenhouse gas emissions. And then what the advisory board are saying in terms of, okay, fine, but at the moment, member state plans are not at that level and we need to do more in order to get there. So having those side by side was interesting. Um, and then in terms of the headlines, just going from uh, Antonio Guterres saying, it's like we're phasing out fossil fuels, but we hope that we're doing it quick enough to like more oil and gas exploration. It's like reporting on two different worlds. So yeah, I think that's a bit scary as well, mm. um, but also interesting to highlight those side by side. Yeah, I, I always find uh, Guterres a, a real, you know, passionate speaker, and it it makes you wonder what else needs to be said by you know this is the UN Secretary General saying these things, and it's kind of just yeah okay, let him say what he wants. It, nothing seems to be kind of action from what he says, even though he's just saying what science says. So I I, I think like you say he's he's it's kind of scary to to see that like cognitive dissonance between what's being said by two different camps and stuff the, f the first episode was about the sort of germany granting this state aid for battery makers that was interesting because i think both of us have spent so much time talking about how the inflation reduction act is going to either ruin europe or you know people think that and it's all doom and gloom and this was i think maybe like the first tangible example of europe doing something about it whether or not it was a positive thing or not you'll have to listen to the episode to find out but that was interesting to sort of see the theory be put into practice which I think is the more interesting parts of journalism, you know, when something actually happens rather than maybe it will happen. And then on Wednesday, I hate maths, was always terrible at maths. That's why I deal with words rather than numbers. But we did this episode about how um, Switzerland and Thailand have done this first deal on carbon offsets and trading them and stuff. And that was very interesting to get the different viewpoints of this is a really good idea maybe not being done very well at the moment but it is the first time it's been done and and also going through with the guests about what needs to change in the future to make this this sort of carbon offset program under the paris agreement um actually a really powerful tool so that that was interesting i, I it was good to be able to use this format to not get the whole story but enough of the story to maybe get people interested in it and we'll maybe follow up on it as well so that that was i, I really enjoyed that first week of of shows yeah, you, the Wednesday one was an interesting one to listen to because you had someone being like, yes, this is the future, this is how we do it, and then someone else being like, I'm not sure this is the best way of doing it. And it is interesting, this is right at the beginning of seeing these types of deals, of seeing how they work and whether they do work or not. It was, yeah, interesting to listen to. We'll, of course, be back next week with um, many more episodes about various different topics. Uh, you'll be back on Monday, is that right, Kira? Yeah, I, I will be. I am looking into the, I'm just going to check the name because it's one of those EU names that you can never remember, the Industrial Carbon Management Plan. 
So I have the, uh, the leak burning a hole on my desk and I will be looking through that and, and getting some guests on to, to let me know what their opinion is of it. So do hit us up in the, either the contribution section or obviously get in touch with you in person, I think. Yeah, and any way you can, just let me know what your opinion is of it. Brilliant. Um, I'm going to be looking at Italy's electric vehicles and also uh, the one I already mentioned about the North Sea interconnector. So hopefully they will be uh, an interesting listen as well. Uh, we're going to be bringing you these jolt rundowns on a semi-regular basis at least. Uh, so please let us know down in the contribution section your thoughts about the topics we discussed today. Do you like this format as well? I'd quite enjoy doing it, Kira. So um, we'll do this again, I think. It's just a great excuse to have a chat. Fantastic. And uh, I'll see you next week. See you. Many thanks for joining us today and throughout this week. We'll be back Monday through to Friday next week with more episodes, bite-sized updates, and a closer look at an important story of the moment. I hope you can join us. Thanks once again to everyone at Foresight for helping to make the job possible, and shout out to Mute Island for providing the theme music. Until next time, thanks for being a part of the Jolt. Thank you.